podcast that used to have a tagline at the beginning of each episode, but doesn't anymore. Tonight, we are gathered here together to break the format. This is a different kind of episode. Usually, I discuss a movie or maybe a topic related to movies, but tonight, I'm not talking about motion pictures at all. In fact, I'm doing a book review, sort of, more or less. Uh, My point is, I'm doing um, Quentin Tarantino's book. Quentin Tarantino is obviously a uh, one of the most famous filmmakers alive. Uh, you know, he's the director of nine films, including Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and most recently, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Who, and he famously pledged to only make ten movies and retire. And then he, and uh, there's always sort of an open question: What would you do next? And that answer, uh, that question rather, has been answered to a certain degree, because uh, evidently he's going to write books, and this is the first of them. It's a collection of essays called Cinema Speculations. And it came out this month. Um, I called Cinema Selections a collection of essays, and I'm struggling to be more specific uh, describing it. It has 18 chapters, and most of which are devoted to individual movies. Um, Almost all of them are from the 70s. I'll explain that a little bit more in greater depth in a second. Uh, But movies like Dirty Harry, Escape from Alcatraz, Rolling Thunder, Deliverance, and oddly enough, Daisy Miller. Right, and some of the essays are opinion-driven. Some include interviews and primary sources, like interviews like Walter Hill, um, Steve McQueen's widow. I mean, it's not like direct quotes, but he like references conversations he had with them. And um, the experience of reading the book was a lot like watching a, a newish Quentin Tarantino book because it uh, goes off into a lot of tangents. It desperately needs an editor. Uh, it's too long. There's a lot of good things that aren't really brought to the surface and a lot of um, rambling kind of stuff that probably should have been on the cutting room floor. And there's odd little editing, um, quirky little editing moments uh, that you might call mistakes in the book and in the movies, probably deliberate choices. Um, and uh, it's I enjoyed it, honestly, though. I'm going to say that I did enjoy it. If you're looking for like a, just a, was it good or was it bad kind of review, I'm going to say good. I'm going to give it two thumbs up. Uh, I enjoy Quentin Tarantino. I know he can be a little divisive, a little bit of a polarizing figure in film. Like, you know, people are subscribed to like uh, the Criterion Collection website and stuff and, you know, go to like Film Forum or whatever the ones in cities other than New York. You know, like you get a little like, uh, look down upon Quentin Tarantino. And I fit the description of all these people. I'm not, like, saying, like, those people are snobs. I'm saying, like, people like me will talk about that. And I kind of keep them at arm's length, but I am more comfortable celebrating Quentin Tarantino. I think his movies are fun and good. And I think as a media personality, I think he has a lot of value because he's, like, this uh, ambassador for cinema, which, um, as the name of my podcast indicates, I believe is a dying art. Uh, And so, you know, as this thing, this, this... this experience of going to the movies and stuff um, and seeing movies collectively on the big screen, uh, which being, you know, just for a variety of reasons, 
uh, becoming a thing of the past. He's a great advocate for that experience. And, you know, I think it's a valuable experience and it needs advocates. So it's good that he does that. It's also good that he writes a book like this, I think, because um, it's a book of cinema film criticism. And, you know, how many high profile books of film criticism like are there? Uh, you know, he's using a celebrity in a fairly interesting way. But back to the book. Oh, yeah, but, you know, but also, but also, you know, I keep him, got to keep him a bit at arm's length because, like I said, like, his movie's a little imperfect, and even though he, you know, wants to be this, like, <laughs> intellectual film, like, you know, maybe, you're, you know, he, he's not a college guy. He, uh, and this is, a, this is where I'm kind of uncomfortable with this level of criticism, but it is true. You know, he didn't, he didn't like, go to a film studies courses or whatever, you know. Um, he mo- he's an autodidact and he like his exposure to film. It's like, he was really into like a lot of junkier stuff. Um, you know, like seventies grindhouse, uh, drive in stuff. And, you know, but then that expands sort of into you know, artsier world cinema and classic cinema and, you know, like, uh, Hitchcock and Hawks and, you know, Nicholas Ray and all that stuff. But like, um, you know, he kind of has junky tastes. And, you know, as, I'll, as I'm going to elaborate on, I have, a, uh, I have a, a grand unifying theory for Quentin Tarantino, which is that I don't think he likes movies that are um, too good. I think when movies are, are, get to a certain level of quality, he's, he's either disinterested in them or uncomfortable with them. So, for example, like um, this whole book about mostly, almost entirely movies from the 70s, Stanley Kubrick is only mentioned once in passing. Uh, instead, he, he has a whole chapter devoted to Daisy Miller, uh, which is a film by Peter, it's an adaptation of a Henry James book by Peter Bogdanovich. I think it's like 1975 stars Sybil Shepherd. And uh, you could find it, you know, streaming. I would suggest watching the first five minutes of this movie. And I dare you to not come up with the impression that it is the most off putting opening to a movie ever made so it's like this kid it's this horrible kid actor this child actor this boy with horrible teeth and either um he's wearing fake teeth or they went out for like for they did a casting call for kids with terrible teeth and i don't know which one is worse but anyway this kid like i think it's supposed to be funny but he's like a deliberately obnoxious and then you meet the main actor and he's terrible and then and it's also supposed to be like it's like watching a merchant ivory movie you know like it's all like uh, set dressing porn, you know, uh, you know, to a degree. Or like, um, what's that show? Um, Downtown, Down, Downton Abbey. Uh, that kind of like lifestyle, retro lifestyle porn shit. But it sucks. It's just not, it's not even that interesting to look at, you know. Um, but you know, I, I dare you to watch this and not feel like this movie is just repellent in the first five minutes. But yeah, so Tarantino devotes a whole movie to it. Uh, and talks about it as like a rare, uh, what he called movie brat, um, literary adaptation, 70s movie brat literary adaptation. And it's like, my dude, you know, uh, um, Barry Lyndon is right there, man. I know like, I know you're doing this like thing about movie brats and whatever, but that's not a real thing. That's just, you know, something that you say kind of as a slang thing. It's not like written in stone. You just say movies from the seventies. Anyway, all these essays move off in their tangents, asides, and talk about dozens of movies. Like, he'll talk about a revenge movie, and then he'll talk about, like, another one that's sort of similar uh, 
Two of them are, I think, no, three of them are written, are movies that were written by Paul Schrader, and two of them were directed by Don Siegel, and another two were um, uh, directed by the same guy, uh, the Rolling Thunder in the Outfit, and um, same director, I forget his name. But, um, so there's sort of, there's no real thesis to this thing. Like, it's not really about anything, right? So the name Cinema Speculations... There's one chapter that is like a cinema speculation thing, which is like he imagines, what if uh, Brian De Palma directed Taxi Driver? And the answer is, who cares? That's what he says, two words. No, I wish. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, that was my thought. Um, you know, he has a whole, a whole thing, all these, you know, thoughts. Uh, uh, and so, um, but that's, a, the, that's the name of the book, you know, and you'd think that the whole book would be to that theme, and it's not. Instead, it's just, I think it's just the only thing in it that seemed like a book title, you know. Um, so, uh, all the movies, with one exception, are from the 70s. So he could have called it uh, K. Billy's Super Cinema of the 70s, instead of Cinema Speculations, which would, of course, be a reference to his debut film, uh, Reservoir Dogs. And... Um, Alongside chapters about individual movies, there are parts that are almost like memoirish in nature, uh, and there are other parts that are sort of like essays about movies, right? And the memoirish parts are weird. Uh, but first, you know, there's no real thesis or argument to the book, and at least not an intentional one. Themes and ideas surface here and there, but drift away without building anything. It's kind of revealing about Tarantino as a person but almost entirely by accident, or at least I'm not sure how much of what was revealed was intentional. I left the book thinking he was, as a child, like a lonely kid raised by a single mother in a female-dominated environment. Like, he lived with his mom with, like, three female roommates, and then, like, uh, he would, they would take, he went to the movies all the time, and he was really, I it seems like he was really yearning for some kind of masculine presence, like father figure thing in his life. And he, and he found it through like these guys that would drift through his life and take him and through these guys that would drift through his life and in the movies, like his, uh, you know, short term boyfriends of his mom and his, and her roommates or like just, you know, fa friends kind of stuff. Um, but also in the movies themselves. So he went to the movies all the time, and that was... So he talks about how he saw every movie pretty much in 1970. And it's weird. It's like a memoir It's about where it's all about sitting, sitting and, and watching stuff. Like, you know, like, I like movies and I like talking about them, but, you know, a memoir where it's all about you went to the movies is pretty boring. You just less movies. And it's like, yeah, it's a good movie. You know? <laughs> I mean, your life happened when the movies weren't, playing you know um and so you know it is revealing though right but because of he gravitates towards these tough guy movies and even though he doesn't say this overtly ever you notice it like okay you're talking about like dirty harry or this like revenge movie rolling thunder which he thinks is pretty terrific and i kind of hate it but more on that later uh taxi driver and stuff it's like you know tough guy stuff and it's and he says at one point like you know watching some movie and then like all the dudes in the audience in this grindhouse theater when he was like a young man they all like he calls it like the most masculine experience you could have and sort of like that's that's more you know that seems to be about like your loneliness and your um sort of feeling of like 
uh, alienation about your identity and wanting to be like, you know, be a man in a situation where you're like, you know, kind of a little, you got a lot of, lot of ladies, a lot of chick energy, you know, not, a, which is not a big deal, but that's an interesting idea. And that's something I came away from. I've thought about a lot, you know, interesting thing about a person, about this, about this person, about Quentin Tarantino. But he, this is not what the book is about. These just, this is the stuff that I, I thought reading the book, right? Um, so I enjoyed it. It's not particularly good though. Uh, it's nice he wrote it. I already talked about this, but yeah, it's a vanity project. But you know, like it's who, how many people in his position would <laughs> undertake this sort of vanity project? You know, he could have done a bunch of bullshit and say, "Do this, it's interesting." And, you know, again, like this is a dying thing, and he's and you know, he's trying to keep it alive, and I, I I think he deserves respect for that. But the book is bad in small ways and in big ways, and um. So I alluded to the editing stuff before. So for it's a high-profile book, right? Like it's the, it's for sure going to be the biggest book of film criticism to come out this year. Like it's, there could be newspaper articles about it and stuff. And it's published by a major publishing house. I think it's uh, Random House, maybe like famous one. You know, one of the huge ones. And but and still and so you'd think that this is a big deal book and people would like work on it polish it to a high shine but there's like all these weird little editing mistakes and there's even some i think kind of factual errors so like <laughs> uh he describes robert englund's character um in the movie like eaten alive as being full of gauge g-a-g-e and i'm a, unless i don't know that movie super well maybe that somehow like fits in the context but i'm sh i think that was a typo for full of rage he mistakes infer for imply which, like, you know, you can gently correct somebody on that. Sorry. Like, and then, like, there's a movie called Fort Apache, the Bronx, which is somehow stuck in my mind that it's Fort Apache, comma, the Bronx. Like, the Bronx refers back to Fort Apache. <laughs> and he forgets the comma, which is, uh, you know, the most important thing. And there's one paragraph I read over a couple of times. He slips in. Um, I mean, overall, he slips into a lot of sentence fragments. But there's one sentence that starts with the word nor. And I, was, I had no fucking idea what, what that was referring back to. Because, you know, you, I think we all know how the word nor is used at the beginning of a sentence. You know, it's some, some, something didn't happen. Nor did it something else happen, you know. And, I, and, I, and the sentence before it totally didn't set up the nor in the next one. Now, okay, look, look I'm a writer. I'm an editor. I'm, I, I, I have like a jeweler's eye for this kind of stuff. So this all jumped out off the kindle at me uh <laughs> and but you know maybe like normies normal people maybe it wouldn't be a problem but um i don't know i thought that was that also so again like i so the the another secondary thing to this book is interesting is like it got me thinking about it the book itself is what it is but then it, you also think of, it crystallizes a couple of things for me about like movies from the 70s you know so, um, one thing that, you know, he kind of goes into some film criticism -y stuff, like, about uh, what audiences wanted and whether or not they were cynical, you know. And so that's why movies had, uh, where the heroes died at the end, they did wa well for a while, but, you know, uh, Nixon's silent majority wanted happy endings. And, you know, I've, I've read all this stuff, the New York Times, Arts and Leisure section, a thousand times, man. This is the most boring shop-worn analysis of you know culture of the of cinema of the 1970s it's you know you're like it doesn't 
it doesn't hold up, man. It doesn't sing. Because, you know, but if you, it, but it made me think about that and realize how shopboard it was. And I kind of had, and I interrogated that idea. And I was like, well, what if the, these things have nothing to do with each other? I mean, we've been taught this kind of lesson over and over, and now we have, like, this online reaction culture that, you know, reacts to culture, uh, culture cultural products, you know, like mass uh, pop culture products, uh, within this way, you know, the way that we always read that, um, you know, people did in the past. But I think maybe they didn't do that, and maybe now what we're doing is an anomaly. Like, maybe, like, you know... Uh, they, people went to the movie just to see some, something that was cool. That it's and maybe it's really foolhardy to think it's reflective of general cultural and political trends. But if that's the only way that you, if that's the only, if you see the world solely through that prism, then yeah, it seems like a good conclusion. But if you, but that's not the only uh, prism through which to see the world. Um, so that was you know one thing, and then he was like talking about like. All these like the hyper masculine movies of the seventies and his preoccupation with these kind of movies and I'm like, well, was seventies New Hollywood was that always like, do they not like make movies for women? I you know not to be like sexist about it, but you know like you know they're movies that are I think it's safe to say uh, that they're movies that women like and women, movies that appeal more generally to men like violent movies or you know dirty movies like movies got you know more. Uh, you know, they use swear words and they're more violence and became more explicit in the 70s than they had been previously. And that was probably, like, that made them seem cool. Um, but, you know, uh, maybe, all like, musicals, romances, light comedies, movies that were more geared to a woman's sensibilities. Like, you know, in the 40s, there used to be something called a woman's picture. That was a genre of film. And maybe that kind of died off, you know? I think all, all the ones that started, like, Bette Davis and stuff. But, um... This is, but so I was thinking about that, but also like maybe that's also not true because I was looking at the, the top grossing movie of the 1970s. The top grossing movie of 1970 was Love Story. And that was the only um, movie, one of the few movies from like 70 to 73 that stayed on the list of like the 100 top grossing movies of the 1970s because, you know, they, movies were in a slump first in the early 70s and they... Um, Changed distribution stuff, you know. So just movies made a lot more money because of that. By because of the Godfather, basically. So movies before nineteen seventy three just made less money. But um, except Love Story, which obviously is a love story, that one was very successful. So maybe there and there's movies like Shampoo, um, and which I which which I've never seen, but you know I think that maybe. <laughs> that seems like you know. That seems like a movie that women might appeal to women. I don't know, uh, but yeah, maybe New Hollywood was more about about the fellas, and that never occurred to me before. Maybe that's obvious to everybody else, but you know, like that cinema of loneliness thing. It's lonely men. Um. Yeah, so I don't think that I think Tarantino likes shit that's kind that ha it has to be a little bit bad for him really to love it. So, like, he breaks up these, like, he talks about Rolling Thunder, and he talks about Deliverance, and he's, like, breaks up, he's, like, yeah, this is a really good part of the movie, which, you know, uh, ipso facto Tarantino, you know, so that means that there's a bad part, yeah. Uh, so, you gotta have, the movie has to have a bad part, it has to have parts that you prefer, and parts you don't prefer, you know, and every one, every one of these movies he discusses, and, like, Rolling Thunder, um, which is this 
very like grimy, gritty revenge movie. It's about this um, this guy with kind of a like a John McClane kind of guy, actually. John McCain, sorry. John McCain kind of guy. He was a POW, um, tortured for years in a Vietnam, and then gets you know gets to come home. But unlike John McCain, who became a senator and met with all his success, and said this guy, um, he he finds out his wife has been seeing another man, and that guy's asked her to marry him, and she's gonna do it. <laughs> and the guy's son, who was born right when he left and doesn't know him at all, is scared of him, and he's alienated, you know, alienated from him, and he's in this like intense PTSD. And just sort of just a hollowed out guy and just totally broken. And then he's further humiliated by his homecoming. And then there's this, but what's funny is that then that's juxtaposed with like, all, there's like the town welcomes him with the, you know, parades and stuff. And they give him $2,000 in, in uh, silver dollars. 2000, I don't know, something. For every, like a silver dollar for every day he was in captivity. And one for good luck. And so then um, he's. Mexican bandits or I don't know multi-ethnic bandits come and rob them of the uh, they they try to steal the silver dollars but they end up um, cutting off his hand in a garbage disposal and killing his wife and his son and then he goes off and has to kill them but it's one of the dumbest fucking unpleasant movies I've ever seen I just was like and it, again it crystallizes on for me I was I'm like there's nothing in here nothing in this movie that appeals to me. Um, there's, you know, I just don't like this thing, whatever this milieu, this landscape, this environment, it's, it's not for me. It's nothing, it's this, I'm excited about other things in film than this, than this, whatever it was. And, uh, like the silver dollar thing, I thought was one of the stupidest plot devices I'd ever encountered. Um, and the whole emotional trajectory of this guy where he was a, you know, a, POW, whatever, and then he has to be even more humiliated before he can become a killing machine. Like, that's the whole, you know, point of the thing. It's like, um, and also, like, the, like, so they, these, these bandits that rob him and they try to get him to tell him where the, uh, silver dollars are, where, where he stashed them. And they, you know, they, threaten him and they put his hand in the garbage disposal and cut it off and it's like the one thing this guy has shown for five years he can do is withstand torture and you're trying to torture him you know i think there's you, you gotta know it's you gotta know that man i don't know it just i'm I'm usually not even like this about movies too like i won't i'm like i you have to accept a premise for a movie to happen and i, I and i accept that that's <laughs> a deal for watching movies yeah um, and yeah, I, I just, and this is uh, Tarantino's favorite movie, I think. And I just couldn't, I, just, I found it boring and flat and repellent. Oh, anyway. So the other thing, so I realized that he has just some weird tastes, you know? Um, and again, like, so yeah, he doesn't talk about Kubrick at all. And he, he does, re, he does refer to like Hitchcock here and there, but I think that he kind of wants to badmouth Hitchcock. I think that Hitchcock doesn't appeal to him because he takes some weird swipes at him. Like he says something was overrated or something like that. Um, I think he knows that maybe bad mouth Hitchcock than like Scorsese won't take his calls anymore. You know? Um, oh yeah, speaking of that. So yeah, there's a couple of times where he talks about prime, he's 
reaches out to primary sources, like I said. And I feel like that the there's a great potential for a really good book in that in that concept. If he builds on that. Like if he did inter he does a podcast, I guess I, I haven't listened to it yet. Um <laughs> I should, I guess. I'm just thinking it's falling down on my duties here. Negligent. Um so if he just did like interviews with filmmakers and stuff or critics or whatever or people, you know, film figures like like Steve McQueen's widow or people like that, um, that'd be really interesting. But the whole book would have to be that, you know, because for a minute, he does he. Yeah, he writes about two Steve McQueen books and like I'm like I've. So there's enough overlap that it feels like you you could have built on this overlap to make a whole book, like a whole book about Steve McQueen by Quentin Tarantino. That'd be fairly interesting. A whole book, like he interviews Walter Hill, the you know the director Walter Hill, who did like the Warriors and Forty Eight Hours and uh, yeah a bunch of other stuff. You know he's just, he's maybe the maybe the Aliens movies. I don't know. I forget. But um. So, so I, I was like, yeah, do a book of like just interviews between Quentin Tarantino and Walter Hill. Just go through like all Walter Hill's movies. Like they just sit down for, uh, you know, two, two or three days, you know, talk about movies. Somebody records it. Somebody transcribes it. Somebody edits, ed edits it down. And then you can even just film it and put it on TV. Just that conversation. Be like the, you know, like Truffaut Hitchcock stuff. You know, I mean, like a dumber version, but it's like, yeah, it's still, that'd be very interesting. Quentin Tarantino talking about 48 Hours, the guy, you know, directed 48 Hours and maybe even wrote it. Um, and then, you know, Tarantino has enough clout that he can, if he, do, if he thinks it's a bad movie, he can say that, you know, and then Walter Hill would have to accept that. There's also three movies that were written by Paul Schrader, and that's even more tantalizing because Paul Schrader is more, he's way smarter than Tarantino. A, a better filmmaker, and um, he is an asshole. Um, so that would have been, and he, and he probably at this point has more clout because I think everybody would, if you like, everybody knows, like, yeah, Paul Schrader, you're like, I don't, you know, he's really good. His movies are really good, I and mean, he's gotten better, which is the weird thing. Uh, like his last, his most recent movies are like a string of masterpieces. I even think that the one with um, Lindsay Lohan deserves a second <laughs> a second look. I think that one, you know, might have something there. All right. You uh, say I'm going back to my notes. Oh, I'm at the end of my notes. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. And also, you, the, so he talks about the director, Don Siegel, and like Dirty Harry and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the politics of the book. Um, I should have mentioned this earlier, but so everyone, you know, I don't think he's Quentin Tarantino is a person with like really fully a fully formed political identity or ideology or anything like that. I think he probably is like on that weird kind of like generally socially liberal and maybe that goes into liberal politics. But also he doesn't like the censorious, occasionally censorious nature of, you know, liberal politics or, you know, anti-violence in films and things and so forth. He probably, you know, resents that. Um, probably more like on that Joe Rogan libertarian, but also like loves Trump. Yeah. Kind of weird thing. I bet he likes Trump. But Tarantino has some, 
or he doesn't like Trump for some. I don't know. Some. I, don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, uh, I don't think he's really has a depth of political um, affinities, uh, loyalties, thoughts. Um, but you know, he drifts and drifts in and out of some very like reactionary positions, um, which all seems to. But that all seems to be more like because that's what the. Another thing crystallized for me is that that seems to be like the, the resting point of like seventies, um, you know, grindhouse movies like these seventies movies that he's focusing on. They're all pretty reactionary, even uh, even I'd say Taxi Driver is probably the most liberal one because that at least you feel like there's a um, despite what you're seeing on the screen, like you feel somehow that there is somebody is critical about it it's it wants you to be critical about it it's it's you know it i'm gonna quote tarantino because he is, does say it's it's a movie about a race well he says it's a movie about a racist that's not a racist movie but all, yeah that was another weird thing because he like has this you know he talks about taxi driver and he talks about travis bickle in terms of him being a racist character and I, you know what? I never thought Travis Bickle was super racist. I thought, you know, it seems like he's surrounded. Everybody he encounters is very racist. Um, but he seems to be more of a cipher and perhaps even a sociopath. Maybe even like somewhere on the autism spectrum, you know? Like a disordered man, a disordered hollow man. I think like he doesn't even have enough personality to be a racist. But I haven't seen that movie in a while. Uh, and I'm ne- probably never going to watch it again. Uh you know, and what, what, would, what would be the point? It's a good movie, but I've you know, seen it enough, and it's not a good vibe. Um, yeah, because I always thought, you know, like the movie, you know, because it makes more sense that he's a PS, PTSD guy, because then, you know, then he's, then at least it's like he's jumping at shadows and paranoid, and there's something, you know, some kind of driving, that's more of a satisfactory narrative explanation for me. But Tarantino argues against that. And he says, well, he only says that once. There's no flashbacks. And I'm like, yeah, but he says it in the opening scene. That's the first thing we hear about him. You know, first thing he says. And you know, when they introduce the character, you don't really get a lot of information about him. That's one of the first things you hear. First and only things you hear. Uh, and the racist stuff, maybe he says it in passing. I feel like, you know, everybody else, more everyone around him is racist. And he's more just a weird you know, ghost who's violent and uh, volatile. (laughs) Sorry for the alliteration. Um, Probably is full of vim and vigor as well. (laughs) Vroom, vroom, vroom. I think that there's a Eminem line where he does that. He says a bunch of V words and at the end he goes, vroom, vroom, vroom. That that cunning linguist. Um, yes, yeah, so that's weird, right? Oh, yeah, another thing, like, so there's not a... Tarantino's a good, very good technical filmmaker, in my opinion. You know, like, his movies always look good and uh, well-edited, and it gives a good sense of, like, moving the camera and, like, lighting and all that stuff, which I realize, you know, you take for granted, but it... He's good at these fundamentals about filmmaking. And if the whole movie had been... Oh, the whole movie. The whole book had been about, like, you know... Let's talk about uh, the technical aspects of film. That that could have been valuable too, but that's really not the case. Um, 
So I'd recommend reading this book. I found it to be fun and distracting. It got me sort of more alive and thinking about movies. I will say the, the movies that I watched that were in it that I didn't know, they I didn't like them at all. <laughs> and it's fun, you know, and you wonder what the alternate book of this could have been, you know, because it's not really about anything. So there's no thesis. Uh, but if you're just writing about movies in the 70s um, and you're trying to do something maybe a little bit more deeply thought, like what would that be? Like maybe you could make an argument that there are a lot of, you know, more feminine leaning movies and those, you know, like this movie in 1977. Like, oh, yeah. And there's there's actually like a little bit of um, that would be a, probably a good thesis, too, because like I was looking like this is one of the most popular movies of 71 or 72. It's a movie called Summer of 42. And I had never heard of it. And I looked at it. I'd never heard of the, the anybody in it and never heard of the filmmaker. So there is there seems to be some indication that maybe there is some forgotten history about something you get on Earth, you know, instead of just talking about fucking Dirty Harry. <laughs> Dirty Harry is a good movie, you know, but it's like he argues about. Oh, yeah, it's a little part. Yeah, he's kind of he, argue, he says it's not a fascist movie, but it's also like, OK, it's like when I uh, he kind of stepped on his dick and fell into a good point with that. It's like, yeah, OK, no, everybody misuses the term fascist. It's like when I was talking to James about, I uh, use the word postmodern. He's like, hey, what does that really mean? I'm like, fuck, fuck. Come on, man. Let me just, you know, use it casually in the wrong way that I, everybody uses it. And I always use it. And don't make me think about it. You know, so it's, you know, you can, Tarantino kind of, you know, he's like, well, the word fascist. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. But, you know, you know what they mean when they say that. <laughs> All right, man. It was a good book. I liked it. I like they they wrote it. And um, if he's going to keep writing books, that's fine. I think it would be probably be better if he made like an anthology TV series or if he just was like, you know, oh, yeah, I said I was going to make 10 movies. But, you know, I decided the first nine don't count. Like make it like, you know, Doctor Who regenerations. Like, and just be like, oh, there's another rule that I forgot about. Right. Anyway, um, those are my notes. And I'm Adam Bolger. And uh, that was my book review of uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, Cinema Speculations. Um I hope that uh, I pass the audition. Bye.